You're listening to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract, the official podcast of the Journal of Addiction Medicine. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract is produced for your enjoyment and is focused on the latest journal-published research and science in the field of addiction medicine. Remember to add us to your favorites in iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at ASAMorg and Facebook. Now, let's go beyond the abstract. Welcome to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract. I'm your host, Dr. Sean McNeil, and today we are joined by Dr. Amy Kennedy. Dr. Kennedy is an acting assistant professor of medicine at the University of Washington. She is also the director of the General Internal Medicine's Addiction Medicine program at the VA Puget Sound. She's the author of a piece in the Journal of Addiction Medicine entitled Barriers and Facilitators to Providing HIV Pre-Exposure Prophylaxis Among Buprenorphine Prescribers, a Pilot Qualitative Study. Thank you, Dr. Kennedy, for joining us on the podcast. I want to get started by having you tell us just a bit about your background and, of course, your interest in the field of addiction treatment. Okay, great. Well, my name is Amy Kennedy. I'm an addiction medicine provider currently working at the University of Washington and the VA here in Seattle. I have had experience doing addiction medicine for the last, I would say, four years now. I started being interested in addiction medicine during my chief residency year, and then I did a two-year general internal medicine research fellowship. And during that that research fellowship, I I did a lot of clinical experience working with addiction medicine within our outpatient buprenorphine treatment program in primary care and also within addiction treatment on the inpatient service. And since then, I've worked in various roles. I was recently working um, down in Los Angeles for the County of Los Angeles doing low barrier um, addiction medicine treatment and buprenorphine treatment for individuals experiencing homelessness prior to my current job here at the VA, where I direct our program for addiction medicine within primary care here at the VA. Fantastic. Now, uh, your article takes a look at the prescription of the pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV provided to these individuals, specifically those who use injection drugs. And I was hoping that you could explain the scope of this problem to our listeners, that being the low rate of these medications being prescribed to this particular population? Yeah, it's a, it's a really great question. Great question. And, you know, some of the best questions I have found as a researcher really come from my clinical practice. And so I didn't mention, but besides having background in addiction medicine, I also have background taking care of patients living with HIV. So I, I did, during that Gen Med fellowship, I did a, a fellowship in HIV medicine as well, and I'm an HIV specialist. And so, you know, the, the, Prevalence of HIV nationwide is, while it's getting better than it used to be, we still see high rates of HIV in certain high-risk populations, and one of those are people who use injection drugs. So HIV is a bloodborne infection. It can be spread through both sexual contact and through bloodborne contact, such as needles. And so people who have a substance use disorder who might be using drugs via injecting with needles have have a risk of HIV if they are sharing needles with with other individuals and often when people are using drugs unfortunately especially in areas of the country where we don't have a lot of um, access to needle exchange or or clean needles people 
unfortunately have to end up sharing needles with others. And there have been this has been linked with outbreaks of HIV in certain areas of the country. So it's really important, you know, to identify this population of people who inject drugs as, as people who are at risk of HIV. And the CDC lists these individuals as being people we should consider for for HIV prep or pre-exposure prophylaxis, meaning it's a medicine that people take once a day to prevent having HIV. But commonly, this doesn't actually happen that often, or at least in my experience, right? I didn't see it happening that often in my clinic, in my buprenorphine clinic. And it was a little bit of a, uh, a disconnect. You know, in my HIV clinic, we, we put patients on PrEP all the time. And here I am in a different clinic with individuals who also had high risk of HIV, but from a different reason, more from their injection drug use than from sexual risk. And we weren't even offering it to those patients. Yeah. And you mentioned in your paper, which was a pilot study uh, looking at 13 prescribers, um, you mentioned that only two of them actually prescribed PrEP to their patients. Of course, you mentioned some of the contributing factors to this low rate, and maybe you can go over uh, some of those. But also, would you please identify what you feel is the biggest contributing factor to this pattern? Yeah. Um very surprising result, right? At least I was surprised to see that only two of those 13 providers, and again, like you said, very pilot study, but we looked at providers from very different backgrounds. We looked at family medicine, internal medicine, OB, psychiatrists, um, addiction medicine, not addiction medicine, and only two had ever prescribed PrEP for one of these patients. And, you know, we our study was a qualitative study, so we, we did interviews with these uh, providers and, and came up with themes. And kind of the big takeaways in general from these themes were that providers really hadn't used PrEP. Again, this is what we found from um, from just the, the data that we just described, but they, they just weren't familiar with it. They never learned about it in their training. Many of the providers actually said that they did find PrEP to be relevant to their patients, but that honestly, they just didn't have the time or it wasn't a priority to them. They had other more important things they wanted to talk to their patients who inject drugs about. They wanted to talk to them about, you know, using safely, about having Narcan, about maybe getting on medication. So so there were some other, you know, barriers that they found too was just sort of lack of knowledge and time. But I, I think in general, the, the, the fairly interesting point was that, I guess two main points I would say was that one, they just didn't know enough about PrEP in itself to feel comfortable to prescribe. And then number two was that they actually didn't feel that maybe this was a population that they should be putting on PrEP. At least there were a lot of barriers about, you know, we, we, we don't have necessarily time and it's not quite the most important thing we wanted to do for our patients in that moment, in those moments of really getting patients into care. And just for reference, and uh, for some of our clinicians that are listening, could you describe some of the common PrEP options and some of the cr- common routes of administration that are available? Sure, sure. That's a really great question. And I think it leads into um, some of what we found that could be facilitators, like what could make PrEP easier. So right now, um, PrEP is, is it's only two different medicines. So it's, it's a pill called, and I'm going to use the brand name here, Truvada or Discovi. They're, they're two different formulations of a, of a drug combination with tenofovir and emtricitabine are the generic names. Um, one is just an updated version. Discovi is the updated version of Truvada. So these are pills that a patient takes one pill once a day um, all the time to prevent HIV. 
there's a little bit of screening that you need to do. You need to get some blood work every few months, and you need to get HIV tests every three months to, to be on this medicine. Um, and sometimes that can be a barrier for patients. But I, I, I think the biggest barrier is that clinicians just worry if the patients are going to take this medicine every day. And um, there are risks that if you're not going to take it every day, um, it might not work effectively, and then you might get HIV. Um, and then by taking this medicine while you have HIV, it puts you at high risk for resistance to, to abnormal strains of HIV later. So, so I can see like a lot of clinicians brought, brought that up. One interesting thing that's coming out is that there's a, there's a newer formulation of PrEP, which is long-acting. It's a, it's a one-medicine me, uh, one injection called cabotegravir that's actually in yeah, FDA uh, trials right now, which could be given every four to eight weeks, depending on how it gets approved. But that is something that a couple of the providers actually mentioned in our pilot study was, you know, we've seen for, you know, things like long-acting buprenorphine or sublocate can be really helpful for our patients, or naltrexone, you know, Vivitrol can be helpful, or even long-acting psych psychiatric medicines. So again, thinking about patients who inject drugs or who have unstable you know, housing or psychosocial situations, an injectable medicine might be a very uh, compelling treatment for patients with substance use disorders who may be a higher risk for HIV in the future. Now, from what you know about PrEP and from the patients that you've seen and their response to treatment, mm -hmm. do you feel that it should be the standard of care and universally prescribed, or do you think it should be administered more on a case-by-case -case basis? Uh, it's sort of like the... Um, such an important question. Um, it is definitely, it is definitely recommended, right? If you look at the CDC guidelines for who we should be offering PrEP to, there is no question that people who inject drugs, and specifically they say people who inject drugs who share needles with, with other individuals should be offered PrEP. Um, but I think, you know, the, the, the kind of wiggle room is, well, what about people who inject drugs who might be telling you they don't share needles, or maybe people who use drugs but aren't injecting, maybe they're using in other routes, can sometimes still have higher risk of bloodborne transmission of HIV and hepatitis C, and so they might also be at risk. Not to mention individuals who use, who use drugs can sometimes be at, at higher risk of HIV through sexual practices. So it, it's, a, it's something that I, I believe we need to do a better job of talking about with our patients and recognizing the risk factors in. But I do think, you know, it's always going to be a case-by-case -case basis on if the patient believes that it's important and, and the patient and provider think it makes the most sense from them medically to be on that medicine. Okay. And besides the use of PrEP, which we've discussed, are there any other uh, clinically relevant practices that you would like to mention uh, regarding the treatment of these patients using injection drugs? It's a good question. I think... In general, for patients who use drugs, harm reduction practices are really important. And, you know, I think through this pilot study, it, it really showed that many of the providers were really, they were aware and kind of invested in doing harm reduction, kind of meeting their patients where they are um, in a variety of ways, right? Let it, let it be giving them naloxone prescriptions, giving them um, access to, to needles. And, and I think it's really just adding PrEP as part of that kit and really helping providers know that, you know, and 
kind of take that medicine and put it within that same harm reduction practice because everyone is very, I, I think these days, you know, many of many of us who practice addiction medicine are, are very interested in helping our patients from a harm reduction perspective, but I don't think everybody sees PrEP as that in that light. And I think that's what I would, would say, at least from what I see saw from the study was that the providers didn't see PrEP as, as harm reduction and really to push to, to remind folks that it is, it's just a different type of harm reduction that you have to discuss with your patient to see if it, it fits and makes sense for them. Very good. Well, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, Dr. Kennedy's article can be found in the May-June issue of the Journal of Addiction Medicine. Thank you for listening. This ends today's podcast. Thank you for listening to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract. All of today's show links can be found in the show notes. Remember, you can preview additional abstracts at journalofaddictionmedicine.com. This program was produced by the American Society of Addiction Medicine.